find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey guys, I'm Shelby, host of Addicted to Crime podcast. Join us for deep, chilling dives into the evil nature of criminals, and let's take a closer look at their early life and background to see how they got to the day of the crime. This podcast was created in hopes you pay closer attention to your surroundings and hopefully stay safe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts or else on the website www.addictedtocrime.org. Happy listening, thanks for your time, and stay safe. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. My name is Haley. I am back with a brand new episode and I have to thank everyone for the support and tips that they have been sending me and the veteran Doe about our previous case. I know that there were some issues with the audio quality, so I definitely thank you all for still tuning in. My Wi-Fi at my new house is just so terrible and there's only one Wi-Fi company available. So thank you all so much for just kind of bearing with me. So let's go ahead and get into today's cases. The story of our first case starts out with a prison break of all things. A man named Ronald Lanfear escaped prison in Elk City, South Dakota in the late night or early morning of July 8th or 9th. He had a friend named Diana Geisinger who made plans to head to Texas with. Diana likely stole a car and picked up Lanfear in Sioux City, Iowa. At this point, Diana was seven months pregnant. And just keep that in mind as I'm reading through the rest of the case. It just makes it extra vile. On the night of July 9th, this pair robbed a gas station in Emporia, Kansas, where they killed the attendant working. They then made it to Perry, Oklahoma, where they picked up a young girl. This young girl told the couple she was going to visit her mom in California and that her 17th birthday was in just a few days on July 11th. The only thing she had on her was a guitar, her birth certificate, and a coin purse. Over the next two days, they noted that they stopped at a coffee shop and a bar. Then in Guadalupe County, New Mexico, the girl asked to stop at a rest stop so she could call her mom on her birthday. And so at this point, it was July 11th. Lanfear pulled over and when the girl got out, he just randomly shot her in the back of the head. He then took everything she had on her, shot her again, and rolled her off of the cliff to the side of the road. They later sold the guitar for money and disposed of her birth certificate. Her body was discovered by a highway foreman at the junction of Interstate 40, Route 74. All that was found nearby 22 caliber shells. She was wearing blue jeans and a blue halter style vest with jewelry that's described as Native American in style. She also had dark brown moccasin shoes, which is also a Native American style footwear. With her being picked up in Oklahoma, I do wonder if she was at least part Native. The medical examiner does describe her as white, but we all know that genetics can be crazy. I also know some Native Americans today who have, you know, blonde hair and very fair skin. So I just wonder if she could be part Native or maybe she really loved the culture 
I've spent a lot of time in Oklahoma and there's just Native American, you know, style clothing, style jewelry everywhere. And a lot of people really love to wear like locally made Native American stuff. The young woman had blonde, curly hair and blue eyes. Some sources say that her hair was possibly dyed. She had pierced ears twice on the right and three times on the left. She only had one wisdom tooth. To me, her eyebrows looked like they were on the thinner side, possibly groomed. The medical examiner does estimate that she could have been as old as 25 in case she was being deceptive about her real age which is entirely possible for the sake of safety in a situation like hitchhiking. She was 5'8 or 173 centimeters and was 145 pounds. There are some really great renderings of this young woman, including one by Carl Koppelman, which I will be using for my episode art because he is a friend to the podcast. To finish the story of the murderers who killed Arjane Doe, after Lanfear murdered her, they went to Arizona to visit Jai Singer's brother. Then the two stopped in Vegas to do some gambling on July 13th. Here they lost all of their money they had, minus a few cents. So the two found themselves sleeping on picnic tables at a rest stop. Then on July 14th, the two decided to find people to give them rides. The first person was a woman, so Diana approached and the woman declined, but a man named Robert Unger said yes, unfortunately. During their drive, Lanfear and Jaisinger figured out a code to figure out when she would get out of the car and for Lanfear to kill Robert Unger. Their plan worked out according to expectations and Robert Unger was another victim of theirs. They dumped his body behind some bushes and of course they took all of his money and valuables before leaving. After this, they went to Las Vegas to party and gamble some more. And then they eventually went to Arizona for a few weeks where their relationship soured. Jaisinger then called the police and reported Lanfear for what he had done because she was so afraid of him. This then led to his arrest on October 14, 1978, where he was still wearing Unger's watch and shoes. Jaisinger was the star witness against Lanfear, and he was eventually found guilty and was sentenced to death. I'm thankful that she ended up having some kind of conscience, which led to some justice for these victims, including our Jane Doe, but obviously it is not fantastic that she was an accessory to all of these crimes and only reported it way later. And she was doing all these reckless activities while she was pregnant. However, we do still have an unidentified woman because of these horrible actions. So if you know who the Guadalupe County Jane Doe of 1978 could have been, please submit a tip to the New Mexico State Police at 505-827-9604, case number 1978-02998. If you deal with chronic pain, muscle soreness, migraines, or menstrual cramps, I am so excited to share one of my favorite products with you. Jovi is a medicine-free way to erase discomfort by using nanocapacitors to change the way your nervous system processes pain. 
To put it simply, it absorbs pain and tells your brain to no longer feel pain in the area where you're holding the patch. Now, I know this sounds too good to be true, so Jovi offers a no questions asked 120 day money back guarantee. All of my listeners love Jovi and it's by far the most popular partnership I have. It makes me so excited for you guys. I personally use Jovi to combat the pain that comes with my endometriosis and it has literally saved me from fainting multiple times, especially while driving, which is always great. So get rid of your pain today and invest in a Jovi patch that will last you through years of use. You can save 10% off your Jovi patch by using the code DOEIDENTIFY or by using the link in this episode's show notes. Ladies, do you ever wish there was an easier way to understand your body and track your cycle, whether if you're trying to conceive or not? Meet Natural Cycles, the only FDA-cleared birth control app. With Natural Cycles, you just take your temperature when you wake up in the morning, or you can sync your aura ring to the app, and the app will tell you right where you are in your cycle. Natural Cycles is just as effective as hormonal birth control and more effective than some other measures out there. If you're trying to get pregnant, Natural Cycles accurately predicts whether or not you're fertile each day. Get more informed about what's going on with your body and sign up for Natural Cycles at the link in our show notes. Welcome back from that brief ad break. I really appreciate you listening to the ads and using my links whenever you are interested. It really helps my podcast a lot and it also helps these cases. This next case is incredibly hard to talk about for me and I know it will be incredibly hard to listen to, but I do want to cover another child, but this child was unfortunately a newborn. And I'm sorry if my voice gets shaky, I'm already tearing up at just the thought of talking about this. On March 26, 2020, at the height of COVID, an infant was found along a water bank in Melton Hill Lake in Oak Ridge, Tennessee by a fisherman. The baby had only been deceased for 24 hours and he was so young that we only know he was 34 weeks gestational age which means that he was born pretty early and he didn't even have a chance to develop past the point of his birth. He also had a little bit of trauma on the side of his head, which was likely caused by the birthing process, and his umbilical cord was still attached to him. Unfortunately, his cause of death was drowning and he had a black plaid shirt wrapped around his head. Other than that, all we really know about him is that he had thick, curly black hair and he was white. Investigators named him Baby Wyatt because Wyatt means little warrior. Today, Otherm is working on his DNA to figure out who his family could have been, which will hopefully lead us to knowing who did this to him. His case is fully funded, but please go to Otherm's website at DNA Solves and donate to their cases if you're able to. The local community came together and threw him a funeral and they donated a wreath and a teddy bear. I think he had a huge battle with COVID taking up 99% of the news coverage in late March 2020, so he got way less coverage than he deserved. 
If you have any tips about who this young boy could belong to, which essentially means someone who was pregnant and had their baby possibly early and then just randomly didn't have the baby anymore and maybe was acting a little bit odd afterwards, um, please just contact the Oak Ridge Police Department at 865-425-4399 or email policetips at oakridgetn.gov. Before I log off, I do want to give some information on how to find a safe haven baby box. If you don't know what a safe haven baby box is, these are boxes that safely house babies that are either unwanted or are wanted, but the guardian knows that they cannot take care of the baby. All 50 states have the safe haven law, which permits guardians to anonymously surrender their babies when done so safely. But a safe haven baby box is one of the best inventions I have ever seen. When a parent places their child in a box, a silent alarm goes off and it makes a call to dispatch. And the box locks from the outside and the box is only accessible to the building where it's installed. And typically these are fire departments, police departments, or hospitals. It's a completely safe and anonymous way to surrender your child. And if for whatever reason you aren't anonymous, and you know your face is seen on a camera in like a nearby parking lot or something like that you absolutely cannot get in trouble by law for surrendering your baby to one of these boxes or just in general the states that have included these boxes in their safe haven law are arizona arkansas indiana maine ohio kentucky oklahoma missouri tennessee mississippi iowa montana kansas louisiana and pennsylvania if you have the time, please reach out to your local officials and advocate for this organization because they have already saved hundreds of babies with these boxes. However, if you are in a state that was not just mentioned, you don't need to surrender a child to one of these boxes in order for it to be legal. But from what I'm reading in general, it appears as though if you were to drop off an infant to a fire department or a police department or even out outside a hospital, you should be okay to follow this safe haven law. But if you are interested or if you are pregnant and you're wanting to take this route, please, please do your research or perhaps contact a lawyer just to make sure that you are following the law and that your baby is completely safe. If the guardian of baby Wyatt knew this information, I can't help but wonder if they would have spared his life. From my research, every state kind of had a different year and date of when they enacted the safe haven baby law, but a lot of them happened in 1999 or the very early 2000s. So this is nothing new. We just really have to get the word spread about the safe haven law so that way these types of things don't happen. I am going to link the safe haven baby box in my show notes, or you can also donate to them and get more information on where their boxes are and more just about them and what they're doing. All proceeds from my affiliate links for this episode will be going to this organization on behalf of baby Wyatt since his case is fully funded through Authorum. I really hope that this episode can start a conversation amongst you and your loved ones or anyone in your life who is struggling through a pregnancy and doesn't think that they can take care of their baby one day. Um, so please just talk to your friends and family 
family about it, there are definitely options. And I really just hope and pray that Baby Wyatt's story will inspire people to start using these boxes and not doing anything completely irrational and immoral like what happened to him. Thank you all so much for listening to their stories. I hope you somewhat enjoyed this episode. Obviously, the contents are not enjoyable to talk about. Please remember to leave a review so that way more people can find my podcast as it gets recommended in all of the algorithms and hopefully the right person will come across my podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day. listening to the Doe Identify podcast. This episode was researched and recorded by me. This episode was edited by G. Hamilton. Our episode's music is by Coma Media. Tune in next time to hear more cases about unidentified victims on your favorite listening platform. Join me on social media at the Doe Identify podcast for updates to chat about cases. See you next time.